Well, please grab a Bible and open to Matthew 6. If you're using the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, that's page 811. 811, Matthew chapter 6. Um, we are smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a famous sermon by Jesus, the most famous sermon ever preached. And in this, Jesus is explaining what the essence of being a Christian really is, what it means to be a Christian. He begins by offering freely, saying, anybody who wants to follow him can. It's wide open. It's free. Just come, follow Jesus. Um, You want to follow him? You are in. But once you're in, he says, here's how we live as Christians. We love. We love. We love God and we love other people. And we do it genuinely from our hearts in every area of life. And what Jesus says in this sermon is, as we begin to do that, people will notice. People will see how you live. They will see your love for God and for others. They'll see how you treat other people the way that you want to be treated. They'll see how you let God transform your life. And they'll say, I want that too. I want that kind of life. And one person by one person, the world will be changed. That's what Christianity is all about. Now, that might be different than what you thought Christianity was all about. Maybe you thought Christianity was all about not smoking and not drinking and not cussing and telling anybody who's having a good time to stop it. Okay? That's not what Christianity really is. Christianity is about following Jesus on his world-changing mission and inviting him in your life to transform you into a person who really loves God and loves other people. And then taking that love into our families, into our workplace, into our neighborhood and changing the world. Sign me up for that one. That's that's what Christianity is about. And as Jesus lays out this vision, this world-changing vision in the Sermon on the Mount, he says there's a few things that will derail that mission. And one of the big ones is hypocrisy. And so in chapter 6, he begins to teach us about the danger of doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Of having the right outward actions, but inwardly the wrong motives and the wrong desires driving those actions. Hypocrisy is a huge danger to the mission of Jesus. It's like trying to light a campfire during a downpour. It's not going to happen. We're not going to be able to do the mission of Jesus if we're hypocrites. And so he takes time, half of chapter 6, to strip away these layers of hypocrisy in our hearts and to get at what is our real motivation for doing what we do. Um, Now, the last two weeks, we've already spent um, laying the groundwork in chapter 6, trying to understand what's going on. You know, we talked about the, the nature of hypocrisy and the danger of it and, and rewards and how God is trying to motivate us to avoid it. So today I want to now focus on section uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where Jesus gives a specific area of our lives in which we need to watch out for hypocrisy. It's the hypocrisy that we do in the way we help those who are in need. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Hypocrisy is doing the right thing for the wrong reason. So as we walk through these verses, I'm just going to show you what the right thing is we should be doing, what a couple wrong reasons are for doing it, what the right reasons are for doing it, and then close with some help so that we can actually change from the wrong reasons to the right reasons. That's our game plan. Let's just read these verses and dive in. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, beware 
of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So as we look at this, we'll see the right actions, the wrong reasons, the right reasons, and some help. What's the right action? It's pretty obvious as we look at this, but the right action that we should be doing, Christians should be helping those in need. We should give to those in need. Notice in verse 2 that Jesus doesn't say, if you give to the needy. He says, when you give to the needy. Thus, when you give to the needy. He's not laying out some general advice for us, like, you know, if you happen to do this, here's the best way to do it. Like, if you were to go to Disney World, make sure you get the fast pass. Or if you go to Applebee's, don't get the quesadilla burger. Yeah, he's, not, he's not giving general advice like, if you happen to do this thing, which you may or may not do, then here's the way to do it. He's saying, here's something I expect you to do. I'm assuming that you're going to do this when you give. Do it like this. In fact, in the very next section of the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to talk about prayer. He speaks of it the same way. He says, when you pray. The assumption being that giving to help the needy is as much a part and parcel of the Christian life as prayer. So Jesus says, when you give to the needy. Now the word that's translated there, give to the needy, it's actually one word. And it comes from a, a word with the root of merciful. Okay, it, to be merciful. You know, to give to the needy is to show mercy to those who are in need. To share with them, to help them, to give your resources to them. Um, historically, it was called the practice of giving alms. You may have heard of that. It shows up a couple times in the New Testament. One great example is Acts chapter 3. Just to show you how it happened. In Acts 3... It says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. It's a picture. This is the normal behavior. There's a guy, he's crippled from birth, so what do they do? They take him to a place that's highly traveled. And as folks walk by, he asks for alms. He's asking for mercy. Will you help me? And Peter and John are walking by just like everybody else. And he says, would you give me some help? Okay, that's one way to do it, just giving directly to those who are in need. You also see that, that the early church excelled at this behavior. Um, it wasn't always just giving directly to somebody that you see on the street. Sometimes they would give to centralized organizations that would then distribute the goods to other people. So, for example, they would give to the, the church, the early church, and they would put the money in front of the apostles, and the apostles would see who is in need, and they would distribute the money to those who needed it. And Acts 4, verse 32, tells us what this looked like. 
says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That's what giving to the needy, what giving alms looked like in the early church. Sometimes it was directly giving to somebody who asked, just giving you know, their need, a lame person or, or uh, single parents or people who were orphaned or elderly folks who had no family to care for them. They, they were in need, they would ask for help, and you would just give them what, what they needed. And other times it looked like giving to a centralized organization that knew of the needs and distributed to those who had need. Okay, and it looks basically the same today as well. Still, largely, it's the same sorts of people who have these needs, Folks with disabilities, single parents, orphans, elderly. And we can still give directly to people who have those needs. You know, maybe you know somebody through your work, or a family member, or a neighbor, or somebody you just walk up to at a street corner, and you see that there's a need, and you can give to that need right there. Sometimes, though, it's through centralized organizations that help people in need. Locally, organizations like the Heart House in Eureka or the Peoria Rescue Mission and the Southside Mission in Peoria. Worldwide organizations like Living Water International, International Justice Mission, even to our church. We still do this as well. We have a benevolence fund where if you want to give money directly for this, you can write it on your check or put it in an envelope, write benevolence, and that money goes directly to meeting the needs of people who approach our church and say, I need help. Okay, so there's different ways to do this. But regardless how we do it, the point is, it's supposed to be a regular part of our Christian life. That's indisputable. When you give. Uh, but Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, he's just getting started. You may notice the more time you spend with Jesus, he's never content to just stop with outward actions. He's not happy just to say, Give. And then you give, it's like, great. He's always concerned about our hearts. He wants to go deeper into our hearts. He wants to know about motives. Why do you give? Because if you give for the wrong reasons, the right action is hypocritical. He wants us to do the right thing for the right reason. And so he points out that there are two horrible reasons for us to want to give. And he says, avoid these. So what are the hypocritical reasons to give? Um, First, to impress other people. Verse 2 again. It says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. All right, let's just acknowledge it is fun when people see you doing good things. Okay, that does give us a thrill. There is a, an enjoyment in that. But it's really easy to turn that into, well, and to turn giving into a means to make you feel good because other people are noticing what you're doing. Jesus, don't do that. He he points out these folks who take it to ludicrous levels. He says they're actually blowing a trumpet before they give. They're tooting their own horn, right? They're saying, hey, 
Um, pay attention over here. I'm about to give some money. Don't anybody miss this. Because they're, they're doing it just to be seen. And it sounds pretty crazy, like we'd never do that, but this sort of stuff still happens today. In fact, just last week, there's a guy named John Paulson who's a billionaire hedge fund manager. I don't even know what a hedge fund manager does, but they're, they tend to be billionaires. So uh, he's a billionaire hedge fund manager. And just last week, he gave the largest single gift ever to Harvard University. $400 million to Harvard. Um, he did it to endow their School of Engineering, which will now coincidentally be named the John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Uh, and if we just forget for a moment that Harvard doesn't really meet the definition of needy, okay, they have the largest endowments of any college in the world, something like $36 billion, um, so they're not really needy. Uh, this still sounds a lot like blowing trumpets to get noticed for your gift. Like, look at me donating this money. Largest donation ever. My name's going to be on this building now. Uh, one headline I saw summed it up nicely. It said, Billionaire's Ego Donates $400 million to Harvard. Now, I, I don't think any of us here are billionaires. If I did, I mean, if, if we are, I don't know why we're not meeting our budget this year, so that's a different discussion. Um, I don't think we're billionaires, but we still have this temptation. We still have this temptation to, to give in order to impress other people. Let's, let me give you a common example. Let's talk about 5Ks. Everybody's running 5Ks now, right? I mean, that's how you raise money for whatever your cause is. Um, have you ever had a coworker or, or someone approach you and ask you to sponsor her in her latest 5K race, and you don't know what the cause is? You have no idea what sports, if it's a good cause or whatever, but, but because they asked you, and you don't want to seem like you're not generous, you say, all right, and you sign up to support them for their cause. Now, that's, it's probably the right thing. You know, if it's a good cause, it's probably the right thing to give to it and support them in the race, but it's the wrong reason. You're doing it just because you don't want them to think that you're miserly. That's hypocrisy. Or when you're driving in the car with a friend of yours, and you're at a stoplight and the panhandler is just sitting out there, if you were by yourself, you would just ignore them. But since your friend's there, you roll down the window and you give them a couple bucks because you don't want your friend to think that you're a mean person. That's hypocrisy. When you do community service work because you think it'll look good on your college application, that's hypocrisy. When you help out at the soup kitchen and then as soon as you get home, upload all your pictures to Facebook so that your friends know that you helped out at a soup kitchen, that's hypocrisy. Any time that you or I give, any time that we help other people because we want to impress other people, that's hypocrisy. And Jesus is warning us here not to do that. Don't give to impress other people. But he goes even further in verse 3, and he says, don't give to impress yourself. Verse 3, it says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand Know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. So clearly, Jesus is saying, you know, in contrast to the public trumpet-blowing giving of the, the Pharisees, uh, do your giving in secret, so that you don't fall into the temptation to impress other people. But 
But everybody I've read on this passage, you know, all the commentators point out that Jesus is going even farther than that. He's not just saying give it in secret so that other people don't see. He's saying do it in such a way that you don't even notice. He says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What's he talking about? Obviously, he's speaking metaphorically. You can't literally do that. Uh, But he's making a really important point that even if no one else is around, even if no one else has any idea what you have done when you've done something good, you still know. And all of us have the amazing ability to offer someone a gift, someone who's in need, we can offer them a gift with our right hand, At the same time we're doing that, start patting ourselves on the back with the left. I'm such a good person. Look at me helping this person out. Did well today, didn't I? You know, no one else saw it. You did it in secret. Nobody knows, but you know. And you are impressed with you. That, too, is hypocrisy. You're still not really trying to help people. You're still just using them to make you feel good about yourself. But what Jesus wants us to do is to give in such a way that we don't even think about ourselves. But it's so automatic that we don't think about what we're doing. For example, I have the the, the skill to brush my teeth with my right hand while holding a book in my left hand and reading. I can do that. I don't even think about what my right hand is doing. I'm reading a book. Don't think about it. Okay, because it's automatic. It's normal. It's, it's everyday stuff. It's not spectacular. I'm sure you can drive a car with your left hand and be fiddling with the radio with your right. Okay, and you don't even think about what your left hand's doing as you're driving the car, which is probably dangerous. But you're fiddling because you've got to find that song. Okay, because it's, it's automatic. You don't have to think about it. It's just natural. And Jesus says true giving to the needy is like that. It's so automatic. It's so natural. It's so everyday. You don't even think to congratulate yourself for doing it. You don't even notice. It just happens because it's who you are. You don't give to impress other people. You don't give to impress yourself. You just give for the right reasons. Now, what are the right reasons? In a word, it's love. It's love for God and love for others. We give because we love God, because we want to please Him. And we give because we love other people, and we want to do good for them. In verse 4, Jesus gives the reason here why to give in secret. He says, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And we talked a lot about rewards last week. I'm not going to go over all that territory again. Um, But just a a reminder of the key idea. Um, The rewards that Jesus is talking about here are the rewards of his approval. That when we do things that he likes, he is pleased with that, and we experience the joy of his approval of us. Just like a child receives the joy of the approval of a parent when they've done a good thing. And so our motive here that Jesus gives us is to seek the approval of God, to seek his delight, to do what's good for uh, in, in his eyes, right? We're, we love God, and because we love God, we want to please him, and so we give. Right? So, so we're not giving because if we do that, we get our name on a plaque, 
Uh, We're not giving because we're going to prove to ourselves that we are good people. But we give because we love God. And God likes it when we help people. And so we do what God likes. So Jesus says, if this is our motivation, if that's our reason to give, then we're not hypocrites. If you encounter a need and you think to yourself, God would really like it if I help this person. And for that reason you give to meet that need, that's not hypocrisy. That is right. That is the right thing for the right reason. Giving to help others out of love for God. And the second is like it. It's love for others. Now that idea doesn't come up in our four verses here, but it's all over the Sermon on the Mount. That's the whole theme of the sermon. You know, when Jesus tells us how to live later on in, the, in chapter 7, he sums up the whole sermon with the golden rule. Matthew seven twelve. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He's saying this is the whole Bible. This is the ethic of the Christian life. Just do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The proper motivation to help someone in need is to put yourself in their shoes and to ask, what would I want done for me? And then you do that. You ask things like, what would I like done if my car broke down and I couldn't fix it? What would I like done if a tornado or a fire or a tsunami destroyed my worldly possessions? Uh, What would I like done for me if my spouse left me to take care of the kids by myself? What would I like done for me if I were born into the soul-crushing poverty of the third world? Those are the questions that we ask, not who's going to notice if I do this? Or is this going to make me feel good about myself if I do this? Those are the questions of a hypocrite. If we really want to follow Jesus, then we give. Of course we give. But we give because we love. We give because we've put ourselves in the shoes of the other person. And we've been moved by genuine love and compassion to help them. That is what it looks like to do the right thing for the right reason. And that is the standard that Jesus is calling us to. Let's recap. We said hypocrisy is doing the right thing for the wrong reason. The right thing is to give to those in need. The wrong reasons are to impress others or to impress yourself. And the right reasons are because we love God and we love others. Now, my suspicion is that you already knew this. I suspect that none of that is a revelation to you. Um, The issue that we really struggle with, I think, is changing our behavior. Uh, We know what hypocrisy looks like, and we see it all too well in our own selves. Our real struggle is changing behavior. How do we move from those wrong reasons to the right ones? It's easy enough to move from not giving to giving. That's a fairly easy step to do. Just open up your wallet, take out some money, and hand it to the person, right? It's a harder thing to move from giving from the wrong reasons to giving for the right reasons. And yet that's what Jesus is calling us to. So how do we do that? How do we change our motives from seeking the approval of others to responding to the genuine love for God and for other people? 
So our final question is, how do we stop being hypocrites? How do we do that? And the answer is, we go back to the gospel. We go back to the gospel. Um, Simply put, the gospel is the good news at the heart of Christianity. All of us, by default, begin life with a great need, with a great debt. We are needy people. The debt that we have to pay is the debt of our sin. And the, the debt that we have to pay is death. And because we have sinned, we've incurred this debt, and we owe death to God. But God loved us so much that he offered himself to pay that debt for us. He came to earth in the person of Jesus. He died in our place on the cross to pay for our debt. And he offers that forgiveness to us as a free gift so that those who would receive it by faith can have their debts washed away and receive eternal life. Right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. Right? Now, just put a pin in that. Hold on to that. In 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul writes a little bitty f- uh, fundraising letter. Um, Paul's talking to this church in Greece. It's a pretty well-to-do church relative to the other churches. And he's trying to raise money from them to pay for uh, um, you know, food for Christians in Jerusalem who are experiencing a famine. Right? So this is a, a great, great thing. Paul's doing a fundraising drive trying to raise money for these poor Christians in Jerusalem who are in need. He's saying, I want you to give. I want you to do the right thing. Give money to these people who are in need. We'll look at this, but, but in 2 Corinthians 8, the really interesting thing is uh, that when Paul appeals to the Corinthians for money, he doesn't do something like, and for those of you who give at the $1,000 level, you will be a platinum donor, and your name will go on the plaque in 18-point font. And if you give at a $2,000 level, you'll be a titanium donor, and you'll get 24-point font. And, and he doesn't appeal to that sort of um, impressing others mentality to try to raise the money. Although that works. That's very effective. Um, nor does he say, if you give, then you can pat yourself on the back and say, I am a good person. He doesn't appeal to either of those base motives of impressing others or yourself. He appeals to the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 the linchpin of his argument is this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's reminding them of the gospel. He says, You know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Okay, he's not talking about financial stuff there, right? He's talking about uh, forgiveness of sins. We were poor. We were in need. We couldn't pay our debts. We were destined for death and the condemnation of God. And Jesus, being rich, secure, comfortable in heaven, made himself poor, became a human, offered his life for us, so that we might become rich and have a right relationship with God. This is what Paul appeals to, the gospel. He says, if you understand this, then you will have right motives. Because when you understand the gospel, first of all, it creates in you a love for God. 
As you understand the gospel, you, you see God's love for you, and that engenders in you a love for God that then des- creates a desire to please him that overflows in, in, gra- in generosity towards other people. Right? Just think about it in purely human terms. You know, if a Mr. Smith shows up and gives you 10 grand to pay off your debts, just out of nowhere, you know, you're, you're laboring along under this $10,000 of credit card debt. You don't know how you're going to pay it off. You don't know where the money's going to come from. And all of a sudden, this guy just shows up out of nowhere, gives you 10 grand to pay your debts. How would you respond? How would you feel about Mr. Smith? I think you would love him. You would express your gratitude. You would want to please him. Is there anything I can do? It's only natural to love those who have been generous towards you. And that's sort of how it is with God. And when you understand the gospel, you know that he has blessed us with far more than $10,000. He's given us eternal life. As we meditate on that, as we think on the cross, that's where love for God comes from. And one of the things that overflows out of love for God is a desire to please him by helping out those who are in need. So we start with the cross that creates love that overflows into generosity. The gospel gives us love for God that moves out to generosity. But it also gives us love for others. You know, I said that the trick to loving other people is to put yourself in their shoes, ask what would I want done for me, and then to do that. Um, But the hard part about that uh, is it can be really hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes um, if you think really highly of yourself. Um, if, if, you, if, you, if you see someone who's in need and you can't possibly imagine yourself ever being in that sort of need, it's very difficult to try to put yourself in their shoes. You know, if you always think of yourself as a person who is, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm self-sufficient. Through my hard work and my determination, I've never been in need, and, and I've always taken care of myself, and if you would just work hard and be determined, then you could take care of yourself too. Right? If that's your mindset, you're never going to help those in need. You're just going to tell them to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. If you've never been a needy person, it's hard to imagine what it's like to be a needy person. But the gospel reminds us that every single one of us is a needy person. You know, I just wonder, as you've listened to this sermon today, and I've talked repeatedly about helping those in need, how many times did you think of yourself as a person in need? Or have you always been thinking, when I say that, about other people? I need to help those needy people, those people who are so different from me. We are all needy people. We all need help. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. There's not a single one of us in this room who is self-sufficient. There's not a single one of us in this room who uh, has what we have through sheer hard work and determination. We are all needy people. And God has been generous with all of us. And the more you meditate on that fact, the more humble you become and the more able you become to put yourselves in the shoes of those who may have needs that are different from ones that you've experienced, but in the baseline are the same that you've experienced because you're a needy person.
And when we connect with them like that, we can help them out of a genuine heart full of love and empathy. See, if you want to if you want to just give, that's easy. If you want to move from not doing the right thing to doing the right thing, that's easy. You just start to give. But if you want to do the right thing for the right reason, you need to focus on the gospel. You need to believe the gospel. And let God transform you to give you a love for him and a love for others that overflows into generosity. Right, here's, here's my application today. It's pretty brief. Um, there's no shortage of need in the world today. I think we can all agree on that. It's like, oh, man, I'd love to help the needy, but there just aren't any needy people around. Okay, there's no shortage of needy people or needy situations in this world. Um, So my challenge for all of us, for each and every one of us this week, is to just pick one. Pick one. Pick a need. Look around. Find a need. And do something to give to help that need this week. Maybe it's the Benevolence Fund here at church. Maybe it's uh, the Heart House in Eureka. You want to help out there somewhere. Maybe it's the Food Pantry in Metamora. You want to volunteer or donate. Maybe you know of a coworker or a neighbor or a friend who is struggling in some way. And you can help them. Maybe it's an international relief organization. You just want to pick one of those and, and give to help them in their work. But find a need... And give to it in some way this week to help meet that need. Do the right thing. But do it for the right reason. Remember the gospel. Remember Jesus becoming poor for you that you might become rich. And out of a delight in that gospel and a delight in the God who loves you, give to please him. And out of an empathy for those who are needy and lost, just like you were, and continue to be in many ways. Give out of love for them. Do the right thing for the right reason. Give because we love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity towards us. None of us literally would have anything that we could give to anyone else if you hadn't first given everything to us. So give us that humility to see that all we have is gift, all we have is grace. And then the love, the genuine love for you and for others to open up our hands, to open up our calendars and our time and to prioritize giving to help someone in some way this week. I look forward to the fruit that you will bring in the world as we do this. Change our hearts in Jesus' name.